Welcome to Rome Christian Center. We are so glad that you are with us here today. If you are local to the Rome, New York area, we would like to invite you to join us 10 a.m. and again at 6 p.m. on Sundays. We are located at 7985 Turin Road in Rome, New York. Let's join the service as we believe God has something in store for you today. Happy New Year. Praise the Lord. You remember it's 22. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, we just submit ourselves to you, Lord, and to your word and to your spirit. And feed us today, Father. Encourage us. Help us to become all you've called us to be, that we might be your people, the salt of the earth, the light of the world. We would represent you on this earth for who you are, the great and mighty God. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Anybody watch the Rose Bowl yesterday? Come on, help me out. I watched some of the Rose Bowl. <clears throat> I turned it on, and about two minutes later, guess who came on? Franklin Graham, talking about Jesus, gave an altar call. I thought, praise God. <laughs> Way to go, Franklin. There's going to be, what? Millions of people watching, and his the Billy Graham uh, Evangelistic Association took out an ad, and he talked about needing Jesus, and he said, "If you if you want if you want Jesus in your heart, you pray this prayer, and if you did, call the number on the screen." I thought, "Wait, praise God! It just blessed me. Hallelujah! Praise God!" <coughs> Excuse me, I've got a little bit tickle in my throat this morning, so. Uh, so, uh, if I have to, if I if I cough a little bit, yeah, that's just that's just what that's why I wore a mask. I didn't want to cough on anybody. Praise God! All right, let's open up our Bibles to Revelation. Praise God! Revelation chapter begin reading in verse 10. Then I heard a, a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, he who accuses them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives unto the death. I want to talk to you this morning just a little bit on silencing the accuser. The accuser of the brethren, it says. The accuser of the brethren. He who accuses them before our God day and night. The devil is always accusing, always trying to cut us down, even to God. Now, he knows God. God knows better, but he does it anyway. But there's three, to me, I was thinking this, there's three uh, basic activities that go on in before the throne of God. One of them is worship. 
If you want to turn back to look in Revelation chapter 4. In verse 8 it says, And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within. And day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and because of your will they existed and were created. God, you know what? <clears throat> You know, when Christians get together, somebody will say something, and, you know, it's kind of a, kind of just automatically, we might say, oh, praise the Lord, you know, something, somebody say, but you, you do that in heaven. You say praise the Lord in heaven. I mean, it ripples. It's like, it's like dropping a rock in the water. It's just, it's like praise the Lord. Yeah, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. And all of a sudden, you know, everyone's praising God. But that's what is worship. Worship goes on in heaven over and over, on and on and on. And the other thing that goes on in heaven is intercession. In Hebrews chapter 7, Jesus isn't just sitting in heaven wait, idly waiting for the millennium to come. It says in Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 23, the former priests on the one hand exist in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. But Jesus on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus is interceding for you and for me. He's interceding for his church, that we would be all that he's called us to be. And finally, accusation, we read. The devil is accusing. It goes on in heaven. He accuses us before the throne of God, all over and over and over again. Remember, he did that with Job. The sons of God, the Bible says, appeared before God and Satan came. He says, Satan, where are you being? He says, well, I've been roaming, roaming around the earth, checking it out. He says, if you consider my servant Job, he tells him how good Job is. He says, ah, the only reason why Job serves you is because you bless him. If you don't bless him, he's not going to serve you. So he's accusing. He's just tearing him down. And that's what he, he did it in the garden. He questioned God's motives. He questioned God's character. He's always accusing. He's always running us down. He's the accuser of the brethren. Not sinners. Accuser of the brethren. That's me and it's you. So what gives him an opportunity? Well, unfortunately, I'm not perfect and neither are you. So when we miss it, when we get critical or judgmental or when we get anxious or fearful, or angry or upset or use abusive speech or whatever. Whenever we miss it, it gives him, it gives him, it gives him ammunition. He accuses us before God and he, you know, he says things like, well, you can't bless them. Look how they look. Look how they're acting. Look what they said. You can't bless them. Look what they did. They, if they'd love you, they'd, they'd pray more. If they, if they really wanted to honor you, God, they'd go to church more often. They wouldn't miss church. They don't care about you. They just care about themselves. I mean, all these things, he's just kind of throwing them out before God. time after time. And he not only accuses us before God, but he accuses us to us. The devil, did the devil ever remind you of your past? 
the devil, the devil reminds you of your past even before, even before you were born again. Way back. I call it BC. But he'll remind you what you did, the foolishest things you did, to make you feel ashamed, guilty, and unworthy. And the mistakes that we make even after we become Christians. Making us, again, making, trying to make us feel guilty and ashamed and unworthy. Questioning, questioning our commitment to God and our value to him. God can't use you. Look at how you are. God can't use you. Look, you don't, you don't, you don't pray enough. You don't read enough. You don't go to church enough. You said this. You did this. He's always trying to run us down. So how do we silence the accuser who wants to remind us of our failures? Because we all need forgiveness. Excuse me. I flipped the wrong page. He wants to remind us of how foolish we were, how ungodly, how self-centered before, before you knew God. I, I tell you, I don't want anybody to know me before I knew God. I don't know about you, but I've got, I'm glad it's under the blood. So he does it to hinder our walk with God, to keep us ineffective. He gets you to shrink back and to keep us spiritually weak. But God has a destiny for every one of us. One of my favorite scriptures is found in Psalm 139, where it says, and in your book, O God, talking about you and I, when we were born, he says, in your book they were written, all the days that were ordained for me when as yet there was not one of them. Before we were ever, go before we were ever born, God had it in a book, God had a plan for your life and a plan for mine. And we can walk in it if we, if we honor him and do what the word says. But we cannot, we must not listen to the voice of the accuser. He'll run you down. He'll keep you from your destiny. So how do we silence the voice of the accuser? I want to talk about two things, repentance and forgiveness. First of all, repentance. Before we come to God. In Matthew chapter... In Matthew chapter... Three and verse two, it says, "Now in those well, verse one, in those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, "Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand." This was John's message. First, first word, repent. We're going to find throughout the Bible. <coughs> Excuse me. You can't come to God unless you first repent. Repentance makes the way. Jesus, when Jesus came, he began to preach. In Matthew chapter 4, it says Jesus' message was the same as John. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In Luke chapter 24, just before Jesus was ascended, when he was finished with his earthly ministry, he said to his disciples, he told them to go out and preach repentance and forgiveness of sins to the whole world. In Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, when the when the when the Holy Spirit fell and tongues of fire and they all started praying in tongues. Remember Peter, Peter got up and preached the message. At the end of his message, he said, the people that were listening were convicted in their hearts. And they said, men, men and brethren, what, what should we do? How, and basically what he's saying, how can we get saved? What did, Peter, what did Peter say? Repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. But first, repent. 
And in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 1, it lists what the, it lists what it calls the elementary teaching about the Christ. Therefore, let us, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press on to, re, to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and a faith toward God. So the elementary, the principal, the principal teachings of, of Jesus starts with repentance. And then we, we need to repent before we come to God. We need to repent if we miss it after we come to God. You know, I've heard some people say, well, you know, Jesus died for the sin of the world, past, present, and future. So after you come to God, uh, it's all taken, you don't have to repent. But I don't see that in Scripture. You know, John, the Apostle John, wrote letters to seven churches in the book of Revelation. In five of those churches, he, he criticized them for, well, the, the Spirit of God, or rebuked the, rebuked the people in the church for things that they were doing. And, and every, in five of those letters, it says, there's a consequence is coming unless they repent. He commands those churches to repent of what they were doing. So repentance, repentance comes before we come to Christ, and when we miss it after, repentance comes again. Even, even Christians, if we miss it, we need to repent. And what does it mean to repent? It means to change your mind. And in the scriptures, it always means a turning away from sin and a turning to God. Like the prodigal son in Luke chapter, in Luke chapter 15. You know the story of the prodigal son. He took his inheritance from his father, went off and spent it drinking and sleeping around and living, living totally backslidden. And a famine came, and he had no money. And he was slopping hogs and wishing he could eat their food, but he couldn't. And this is what it says in, verse, in Luke 15, verse 17. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread? But I'm dying here with hunger. So it's like the light went on. It's like, what am I doing here? My father's house is, I could go there and eat. But he doesn't, he doesn't just waltz back into his father's house and say, here I am, I'm home, praise the Lord. You know, everybody just act like nothing happened. No, he humbles himself. He says, I'll get up and I'll go to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. He, he repents. He didn't just feel sorry for what he'd done. He determined to change and to come back to his father. And that's what repentance is all about. It's about changing, changing the way we think and changing our attitude and walking with God. One of my, one of the, turns me to 2 Corinthians chapter. This is, this is a, an important scripture when it comes to repentance. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, Oh, how, where am I going to start? The Apostle Paul wrote a letter to the church concerning a certain individual. And it says in verse 8, For though I caused you sorrow by my letter, I did not regret it. If you have a King James, the King James says, I do not repent. But the word there is re regret. It's not, it's not that he repented. He, was, he, regretted, he regretted. He was sorrowful that he wrote it. 
For though I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I see that the letter caused you sorrow, though only for a while. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, so that you might not suffer the loss of anything through us. For the sorrow that is according, listen, for the sorrow that is, is according to the will of God produces repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. So that when, when we miss it, or we, we initially come to God, or when we miss it after we come to God, we need to be, we, there, there needs to be a sorrow. We need to be sorry for what we've done. We've offended God. And we need to say, God, I'm sorry, forgive me. We can't just have an attitude, well, I'll just do whatever and God will forgive me. But there's a, there's a godly sorrow, the Bible says, that leads to repentance, that leads to a change, that leads to a different, a different walk, that leads to our turning from that thing and turning to God. I'm, so many times in the news you see somebody who's caught doing something, probably having an affair, you know, and all of a sudden he gets up and he says, oh, I just want to say I'm so sorry I hurt my feet. I felt like I'm, I'm judging. Forgive me, I'll, I'll, be, I'll ask God to forgive. But so many times I feel like, you're not sorry. If you weren't caught, you'd still be doing it. You're sorry you got caught. You're not sorry what you did. But we need to be sorry that we offend God when we miss it, we repent and come to him and say, God, forgive me. I repent. I turn away from that thing and I walk after you with all my heart. There's a godly sorrow that leads to repentance, that leads to a decision to turn from sin and to turn from God. So the first thing in coming to God, to silence the accuser, we have to repent of our wrongdoing and come to God with humility and openness. And the second thing we need to do is receive the forgiveness that's available to us because of the cross. True repentance puts us in a position to receive forgiveness. In Luke chapter 24 and verse 47, Jesus said, repentance and forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations. So repentance first, and then that leads to forgiveness in our lives. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, Peter's message was repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. So it's always, always repentance and forgiveness of sins. In Acts chapter 10, when Peter was preaching at Cornelius' house, it says, of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Psalm 103 is a very popular psalm. We know, we know in verse 3 it says, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases. God will, heal, God will forgive you of all your sins. Isaiah chapter 43, it says, I, listen, God says, I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. So we have to understand, when God forgives, he forgives completely. The record is expunged. It's like it doesn't exist anymore. I like to use the example, and I've said it before, but I like to use the example of a, back, when, back in the Stone Age when you were using cassettes. I had what they called a cassette eraser. It was a magnet. It was about, about this big around, and it just had a slot in it. And you could take a tape that was loaded with information, you pop it through there, and it came out the other end totally clean. 
It was totally erased. That's what God does with our, with our sins, with our record. It's expunged. It's totally clean. As far as the east is from the west, the Bible says, so far has he removed our, our transgressions from us. I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake. He says, and I'll not remember your sins. God says it's done. It's, they're buried. It's over. In 1 John, it says, if we, forgive our, if we confess our sins, God is faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So God, when he forgives, he forgives completely. He forgives totally. And when the devil tries to bring it up, it's like, no, that's, that's, that's no, longer, no longer a fact. You can't throw that up in my face. I've been forgiven of that. I'm clean in Jesus' name. You know, I like, I like, to, look up, I like to look up words in my, in my concordance. And uh, I wrote this. Uh, when it talks about Jesus' death on the cross, it says his, his death was vicarious and expiatory. I thought, what is that? You know? I mean, you know, Bible, Bible scholars, they, they, they make things hard. They talk about hermeneutics and homiletics and exegesis. It's like, speak English, will you? I, but it says that Jesus' death on the cross was vicarious and expiatory. So I had to look, so I looked it up. Vicarious means to take the place of another. Something suffered or endured by one person in the place of another. And expiatory means to pay the penalty, to make amends for wrongdoing. So basically what it's saying is Jesus took our place and paid the penalty so we could be free from sin and the consequences of it. And when I found that, I said, why didn't you just say that in the first place? <laughs> Trying to sound educated. But he took our place. He paid the penalty so we could be free from sin and the consequences of it. His death opens the door for us to be totally forgiven. And we need forgiveness. For all have sinned, the Bible says, and fallen short of the glory of God. So whether you're a minor sinner, a moderate sinner, or a rank sinner, a major sinner, doesn't matter. We all need forgiveness because we're all sinners. And when we were born again, we, our sins are forgiven. The old man died, and now there's a new man. And that's what baptism, that's what baptism symbolizes, Burying, burying that old man, taking that old man. What does it say in 2 Corinthians? It says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things of what? Have passed away. They're dead. Your, your, your old man is dead. And in baptism, we bury him and we raise him up to newness of life in Christ. Totally forgiven. A fresh start in Jesus' name. The old man died and is a new man. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21, it says, he who knew no sin was made to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It's an amazing scripture. Jesus became sin for you and for me, that I might be, I might be made the righteousness of God. And when, when God looks at me, he sees his very own righteousness, perfect, sinless righteousness. Now, I'm not sinless and neither are you, but God treats us that way if we have Jesus in our heart. When he looks into my heart, he sees Jesus, pure and holy. Isaiah 61.10, it says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul will exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness. When God looks at you, he sees that robe of righteousness covering you and declares you innocent and, and right with him. The problem is that even after we're born again, 
when we, when we look at ourselves, we see the old man. You know, I thought what I, what I really need when I got born again was like a, a face transplant or something so that when I look in the mirror, I see something new. The problem is when I look in the mirror, I see the old person and the devil says, yeah, that's still you, but it's not me. I've, I'm a new man in Jesus' name. God's forgiveness is complete and total. You know, in Acts 23, in verse 1, the Apostle Paul was standing before the, the Jewish uh, high, high council, and he says, I have served God with a perfectly good conscience. It's like, come on. Paul, you, you, killed, you killed beautiful Christian people. But he said, I have served God with a perfectly good conscience. Why? Because he was forgiven. His record was cleared, and he's a new man. If Paul can serve God with a good conscience, can't we? You know, there's too many times over the past several years that we talk to people that I've met people in the body of Christ. It's like they've got this cloud over them, this darkness. That kind of, it's kind of on them. It's like, and you say, you know, what, what's going on in your life? And you finally get them to talk. And they'll say, so, well, I did this. You know, it might be a woman. A woman might say, well, I had an abortion. Or somebody might say, I cheated on my wife or whatever. I did, I did these terrible things. And I asked him, I said, well, did you, did you ask God to forgive you? Well, yes. And did he forgive you? Now, they say yes because they know it's the right answer. They wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't say, no, I don't, I don't. But they don't really believe it because the weight of that thing is still on them. The guilt, the shame of that sin is still on them. Now, what we, did, what we, do, we do things that are wrong. But God says you can be free from the guilt, free from the shame. When you're forgiven, you're forgiven, no matter what it is. I heard, I heard a radio commentator one time say God could never forgive Hitler for what he did. I thought if he repented, God would. As terrible as that is, there's no sin that God can't forgive. And we need to understand that. I am cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Are you washed in the blood? Yeah, I was thinking of that song. Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are you white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? If you're washed in the blood of the Lamb and the enemy comes to accuse you of your past, tell him, tell him oh, you want to talk to me about my past? I'm going to talk to you about your future. <laughs> your past is done. It's erased. It's, it's no longer a factor. Don't let him accuse you. You've repented, you've received God's forgiveness. You're a new creature in Christ. The record is clean. He has nothing against you. He's lying when he comes to you and says, you're not worthy. I've repented. And that's why the Bible says in Romans 8 and in verse 1, there is therefore now what? No condemnation for them that are in Christ Jesus. Now, let me say this because I feel, I've got, I feel, I should have said this about a half a dozen times. God never gives us a license to sin. God's forgiveness and God's mercy and God's grace is never a license for us to be caught, to be callous about our, our walk with God. It's never a license to sin. God never condones sin. He gives us victory over it in Jesus' name. But when we repent and when, we, and when we're forgiven, God cleans the record and the enemy cannot come to accuse us. Stop allowing the enemy to, confuse you, to, con to condemn you. Stop allowing the enemy to put you down to make you feel guilty or ashamed, to tell you that you're disqualified. Rise up. Say no in Jesus' name. 
That's forgiven. I'm under the blood. My life is under the blood of Jesus. In Ephesians chapter 1, in verse 6, Paul said in verse 5. In Ephesians 1, verse 5, it says, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace. We're praising God for the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed upon us in the, in the beloved. Well, God, gave, God, through his grace and through his mercy and through his death on the cross, made a way for us to be totally clean and forgiven. To not, to not be under the uh, accusations of the one who condemns and puts us down. Receive his mercy. Receive his grace. Receive his forgiveness. Declare how glorious it is by fulfilling your destiny and silencing the accuser. Tell the accuser to go back to hell where he belongs. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hallelujah. Father, I thank you, Lord. I pray Lord, I pray that this would become a revelation to us. That none of us would ever, would ever come under the condemnation of the devil again. When he wants to bring up our past, tell him no. That's what the Apostle Paul said. Forgetting those things that lie behind. I press on. You can't press on unless you forget those things that lie behind. So thank God for his mercy. Thank God for his grace. Thank God for his forgiveness. Thank God that you're clean. That he sees you as the righteousness of God in Christ. And, you, and you're on your way to heaven. I bless you, Lord. I thank you for the accuser that has no more place in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for being with us today. Our prayer is that your life be enriched through the power of God's word and that you be filled with his love and strength as you daily serve him. To learn more about our service times and our ministry and how it is that you can partner with us, visit us online today at romechristiancenter.com.